Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 57. X marks the spot for all the winners that have X at the back of their first name. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm your host, and I'm with my co-host, my good buddy, Josh Fine. What's good, brother? Yeah, I'm doing great, Phil. Uh, we had a great weekend of racing, uh, I think, across most of the series. But, you know, we had, like you said, uh, everybody with the last or last letter of their name, X, winning the races. You know, we had Alex Pillow winning, Alex Bowman winning, Max Verstappen winning, and definitely IndyCar is now back, and it's definitely time to bring back the action, just like your buddy Lee Diffie likes to say. So definitely a great weekend of racing here. Yeah, we definitely had a great race at Baba. And, um, you know, they had at least five references to the danger zone. And uh, because it, you need to have the IndyCar drinking game. They have anytime they mention danger zone, uh, anytime Lee Diffie pronounces certain words, um, anytime he says Graham Rahal's name, just in general, because he never says it the same way. Like, we're going to have to make certain games uh, for this so we can get more people to listen. I think that would be a good one. It's like, oh, what's the drinking game for this week? Um, Definitely for the Indy 500. We're definitely going to have to do that for the Indy 500 because they're going to allow that fat tub of shit, Paul Tracy, on that that broadcast. So probably going to say something really effed up. Well, the good thing is Miss Hummer won't be on that broadcast because she somehow or another got hired to be. So uh, that's kind of the same thing. Going to Formula One, which was basically straightforward. Uh, Max were stopping both races because they ended up stopping and restarting uh, because of major accident, and uh, which we'll get into. He led both of them. Uh, Hamilton made a rare mistake and still came back to finish second. Uh, Valtteri Botas and George Russell, the guy who is driving the Mercedes and the guy who probably will be driving the Mercedes as much as Toto Wolf wants to talk crap about him. Uh, we'll talk about that and how uh, the midfield was affected with some of the stuff that went on and the weather conditions that took place, uh, the treacherous weather um, on Sunday. Then with uh, the Cup Series at Richmond, uh, Alex Bowman stealing the win from Denny Hamlin and pizza face. And so that was something uh, there. And for three Hendrick cars are in the playoffs and none of those cars are William Clyde Elliott, the second, which is in its own right. Very interesting. Three of the top four in the uh, final standings last year do not have wins. Uh, so it's kind of crazy. And uh, eight winners, we'll talk about how the, these different winners and with some of the other drivers that haven't won, how that will affect the overall point standing since uh, Mech Driver's already fallen out of the top 16 in points. So that's uh, narrowing things up. In the truck series, John Hunter, as a dad, wins over uh, Kyle Busch and uh, KBM, three out of the top five. It's basically... John Hunter, Nemechek, and everybody else. We'll get into that, though. Fabio Quattararo keeps the Mo- Monster Energy Yamaha team perfect in MotoGP this year. Two straight wins for him, and uh, they're doing really well right now, beating them Ducatis, but we'll see how that's going to keep on going. Mark Marquez made his return, so we will see how that all works out. Formula E was at Rome. Uh, and last week, and we'll be racing in Valencia this week. We also had supercars at uh, Simmons Plains for basically a uh, Red Bull benefit. Uh, 
And then we'll move on to the races this weekend, which will be St. Petersburg for the Indy cars and the cup and uh, Xfinity at Talladega. Talladega will have a dash for, for Xfinity will be dash for cash and cup will just be a demo derby and uh, anything else that comes up. We talk about Josh and his sim exploits might be, might get into a little football. We have the time. And then uh, we'll get in the next week's show, which will be more centered towards the NFL draft, since hopefully I'll have it posted before the NFL draft actually takes place. All right. So with all of that, IndyCars, Alex Pillow, I don't think any of us, we didn't pick him. Uh, we didn't even act like he existed in a sense. And uh, he went out there, two-stop strategy, and literally – put a whooping on the field. Uh, it was, it was basically him and Pato award all day. And it was a straightforward barber race, a uh, very little, few cautions after the initial accident uh, there. So you had to basically make a lot of pace under green and limiting the amount of time on pit road and the pit stop deltas and all that was key. And it was a major part of why, uh, Alex Pillow was able to win, but I guess for you, Josh, I mean, Alex Pillow last year showed pace at times. He's been a guy in super formula who has pace and won, but is, is this something that you foresaw happening this weekend or do you feel, and do you feel like it's a precursor of things to come? for the rest of the season, is he really going to be the first guy since Dario Franchitti to challenge Scott Dixon at Chip Ganassi racing? Yeah, I think for this weekend, um, I mean, neither of us picked uh, Alex Plow to win the race. And I mean, I wasn't even sure he was going to be a contender. And, you know, some of that is based on how his season went last year. And yeah, he had pace at some of the races, but, you know, there was a lot of races where you know, he was kind of an also rain. And I think that mostly had to do with his car, not really his talent. And then also, you know, the history of Chip Ganassi racing. Yeah. But besides Dario Franchitti, there hasn't really been a driver that really challenged uh, Scott Dixon. And, you know, the last couple of years, Felix Rosenquist was in that 10 car and he didn't really, I mean, there was a couple of races where he challenged Scott Dixon, but you know, he didn't really do a whole lot in that car and wasn't really uh, a contender like what we saw on Sunday with Alex Pillow. So kind of the history, you know, like didn't really uh, think that uh, Pillow would be up there uh, in that race. But, you know, the first practice, uh, Alex Pillow was the fastest guy out there. And I think that should have been an indicator right away that uh, he'd have pace uh, on the race on Sunday. And I think, you know, once they got out of the uh, green flag run and, they, they were able to kind of establish pace there. Um, you kind of saw him kind of close up onto, uh, you know, Simon Pagano, close, close up onto uh, Pato Award at the beginning of that race, or Alex Rossi, sorry, at the beginning of the race. And then Rossi and uh, Pato Award, they pitted early, and and then it let uh, Alex Blow take the lead there, and then he went on the two-stop strategy while Award was on that three-stop strategy. And, I mean, for Award, it almost worked, I guess. But, you know, he had that run-in with, uh, Sebastian Bourdais 
in the middle of the race. And I think that kind of affected the handling of his car probably by a lot. It wasn't the same afterwards and just uh, didn't drive the same. And he didn't have the type of pace that he had throughout the weekend and in the beginning of that race. And, you know, plus with uh, a word, like it seemed like his car just wasn't handling right. At least at the beginning of the race, like there was some parts where you could see the rear tires sliding out of quarter exit on the, you know, on the onboard cam of his car and, and the, you know, uh, Rossi onboard cam as well. And I think, you know, part of that showed kind of the difference between Polo and award is, you know, one, one kind of had maybe a little bit longer run pace, I guess, but Alex Polo just was really fast uh, throughout that one. And I think, you know, for him, uh, going forward, uh, it, it could be a, a potential like, um, challenge for him versus Scott Dixon, but he's going to have to show it again this weekend, I think in St. Petersburg. Because um, yeah, this is just one race, but then he's you know also got to bring it uh, the next race as well, and then you know continuing throughout the season. So I think that's going to be an interesting uh, storyline to watch is um, if he can match his pace uh, continuously against uh, Scott Dixon. So I, I think now that he's got a win like this under his belt, uh, his first career win, um, maybe that'll you know give him the confidence, I guess, to um, really be able to challenge and you know the momentum to be able to challenge uh, Scott Dixon there. But uh, a little bit of unexpected winner, I guess. But he went out there and dominated and really earned that win. Yeah, he's he's a talent. I mean, for Ganassi over the years, he's given uh, European drivers uh, chances, and Rosenquist being an example most recent, and Ericsson um, more because he brings money. But uh, in this case, it's a fully funded car. He's taking a chance here with a driver that has the potential uh, long-term. I think Rosenquist, he felt, was that guy. And he gave Rosenquist an idea that basically he wasn't going to be retained, which is why he kind of hedged and went off to spam. And they, in their own right, didn't want to keep uh, Oliver Askew uh, for whatever reason. And so it kind of worked out that way. Um in the sense of Polo, though, it's it's a great race, great performance. It's one of the best performances seen in a long time out of a younger driver, especially in this series, how talented and how deep it is. To jump into that car, to be Scott Dixon's teammate, it's asking a lot. There's only two people I can remember in Scott Dixon's now nearly 20 years of freaking Chip Ganassi racing that have actually been able to stand up to him. And it's Dario, obviously. And that was before he got there. And then once he got there and the late Dan Weldon, that's it. Not, there's been nobody else. Not one person that's driven the 10 car has been good outside of those two guys. Um, and the notion of having a young gun who's hungry, who really wants it bad uh next to scott dixon when scott dixon he's never he's gonna drive until he's like 100 i think and and he's gonna beat chip ganassi till whatever he's probably gonna own the team in a few years at this rate but i think it's a positive sign especially considering they have to battle penske and at times they're gonna have four cars up there uh i figure more or less will be two cars on a weekly basis uh, New Gardens having to make up a ton, which we'll get into in a second. But to have Penske running two, three cars at a time that are going to be up there 
You have Andretti in theory is going to have at least two and possibly three cars up there regularly. You need to be you, Ganassi needs to be able to bring two cars. They talk about it in Formula One with the whole Mercedes Red Bull deal, which we'll also get into. And it's the same thing here with how deep the series is. And then it's the same thing with spam. And I think that's where the next piece of this goes. Pat Award, fast race car, think fastest driver all day in general. That wasn't Alex Below. He got back to the front twice under this that strategy. But in the end, there was just too much too much time to make up and traffic. The Bourdais uh, incident, I think, was probably the fact was one of the factors that eventually led to Pato Award uh, only getting a fourth place finish. Uh, he had more pace and willpower and Scott Dixon for sure. He wasn't going to catch Alex below, but are we, is it getting to a point now? I mean, the, the finishing, like being able to close the deal, uh, you know, I was talking to Tom, we were, a, we did a hit on the uh, monkey seat podcast earlier uh, this afternoon. It'll be out, I think in the next couple of days or whatever, but um, Tom, who Tom Horrocks, who's on the show last week, we talked about this race. It's like, I think for Pato, I mean, closing the deal, like the, it, it, it was like, you know, how Clyde and NASCAR couldn't close. And we're starting to see kind of patterns here where they get there, they're right in a position or they do something, whether it's pit road, whether it's a pit, whatever, it's a strategy decision or it's a mistake on the track, which I mean, Pato Ward's very young, whatever, he's aggressive. But at some point, there has Pato has to start finishing, and I say this as a fan. What are what has to happen? Because in the end, I don't think it had anything to do with it. Taylor Kyle, who bangs out Katie Hargett now for life. He's he went and made that call, and that was the wrong call. Um, you should give your driver the best opportunity to win. He thought three stops was the best opportunity. Um, having three stops, you're hoping a caution comes out, but then you know that with IndyCar races in general, there aren't that many yellows. So to you, to, I, I guess what I'm asking, I don't know what you're thinking. I mean, what, what were your thoughts on Pato Awards day on Sunday and what has to happen for him to kind of start taking finishing and becoming that guy that he has been all throughout his career prior to being in an IndyCar. You know, it's an interesting thing with uh, how his race went on Sunday, because initially, like, you know, he won the pole and I was like, all right, well, looks like Paddle Ward might, you know, be up there at the end and possibly win this race. But then uh, they went on that different strategy, I guess, from Alex Pillow. And with, you know, his strategy, I wonder if the beginning of the race, you know, you had that lap one wreck, Jimmy Johnson spun out and brought out the yellow on like lap seven or whatever. And you have to wonder, like, did you know the, those initial cautions did his team think like oh well we might have a lot of yellows today let's do a, a three-stop strategy rather than a, a two-stop strategy i guess and you know go with the tires i guess having fresher tires and not worrying about fuel stuff or any of those things uh did that influence their 
uh, strategy to go on a three-stop race rather than a two-stop race. So with with all that considered, I mean, maybe they thought with how the race initially played out, they'd go on three stops. And um, if they hadn't done that and they'd gone on two stops, maybe we don't see the incident with uh, Sebastian Bourdais in the middle of the race and where they kind of had their contact there. And maybe he's up there right next to uh, Alex Blow uh, battling for the lead in the last laps. But then again, like we saw with Will Power, like, you know, Power had to really save up until the last lap to even be able to use push to pass. So even then, um, it would have been a, a tough call. But I mean, Paddle Award definitely did have the the pace. And then you know, also, I mean, we, we say, you know, he's been really fast, but maybe the speed of his car, like his, uh, I guess, ability to drive fast throughout the those stints, like it, it suited him better to do that, to, you know, be on a three-stop strategy rather than on two stops. So those are a lot of things you have to consider. But I think going forward, they just have to figure out a way to close out the deal. I mean, um, either figure out a way to go an alternate strategy, make a, a adjustment to the race, I guess, like depending on how it goes. Like if, you know, the race has like no cautions, like try to go for a two-stop strategy, I guess, or, you know, one-stop strategy or something like that and try to stretch the fuel so that you're up there at the end. I mean, they have the pace. They just have to figure out how to manage the pace and balance it according to the fuel strategy and, and the tire strategy, I guess. Um, do they start on blacks versus reds or reds versus blacks? I don't know. It's a, a lot to say. I mean, he, he has the pace and um, definitely should be up there. Uh, I mean, the question is, is that at the end of the ra these races, does he, uh, if he gets challenged, can he fend off the battle or can he be able to make that, that pass at the end if he needs to? Um, those are things that, you know, we, we have to see from him and his team just has to be able to put him in a better position, I guess, to win. But I think eventually, you know, you have to learn from all these uh, losses, I guess. And I think eventually he'll be able to uh, win one of these. I mean, I think we may see one or two victories from him this season. So um, it'll be interesting if uh, they can finally figure out. And when they finally do figure out, it's going to be a pretty big win for him. Yeah, I I mean, I think I picked him. And the fact is he had it. He had the fastest car and it's a lost opportunity. But he goes to a track now. This coming weekend at St. Pete, where he finished second to Joseph Newgarden, and he had great pace. Uh, he's won there. I think he's won at both of those, both Barber and St. Pete in a Indy Lights car, of course. So uh, the time is coming. This team, and I said it on Monkey Seat, that over their history, going back to Sam Schmidt, they weren't known as great closers. They'd have their moments. James Hinchcliffe won a few races for them, but it was few and far between. You'd have a win, and then you'd have a whole lot of nothing. Uh, you know, when Robbie was there, uh, he and Alexander Rossi, he had the lead, and Rossi ran into him on one of the late restarts and handed a, a win to Bourdais at, at St. Pete. Uh, history of that organization is not known to be the strongest in a lot of ways. Uh, but Pato Award is a real deal and they need to tighten things up. I don't believe it was his fault uh, this week or last weekend. Um, give him the opportunity to, to take care of it on the racetrack. Don't take it out of his hands. 
Uh, that's fundamentally what it what it has to be. Uh, that's that's my thoughts. But hey, that's what every to each his own, I guess. Uh, Polo, Will Power, Scott Dixon, the podium, Pato Award, Sebastian Bourdais for AJ Foyt. Who, they led four laps in that the rocket uh, car, and Renus VK uh, led a lap and he finished sixth. Green Rehall in the Code Three Associates car finished seventh. Erickson Rossi after starting second finished ninth. Roman Grosjean finished tenth, and that kind of goes into the uh, rookie part. Grosjean, uh, you know. Nothing, uh, nothing to complain about for him. Started seventh, finished tenth uh, for a Dale Coin car. That's not bad for a Rick Ware car. That's amazing. Uh, but then it also helped. There's only 24 cars, so he couldn't even shit brick this. Um, the you have Scott McLaughlin started 12, finished 14th, kind of struggled, and then of course Jimmy Johnson who didn't finish last and didn't qualify last. And uh, he did spin out once, lost a lap, kind of was behind for the rest of the day, but ran good lap times. They mishummered. They did the mishummer coverage on him. They played, I think, three or four different commercials he had. I mean, it was pretty insane. I mean, the the difference is I don't, I don't, I respect Jimmy Johnson. And so it's fine. I think it's better for this series when you can't even draw one on network TV, you shouldn't really be pushing away anybody that could bring additional eyeballs to the sport. Um, It is over the top, but it's something where he's brand new to this, like literally ran a handful of sports car races or whatever, whatever over the, like proper sports car races. He's run, I think two. You know, and then he's never run Indy Lice, never run any type of open wheel thing since he ran buggies when he was a teenager on dirt. Uh, and then now you're going to jump in an Indy car against this field, which the vast majority of these guys are really effing good. That's asking a lot. Um, so it, with that, Josh, I, I, I mean, I have my thoughts. I mean, Grosjean is not shocking. He's when his head is on, right. He can drive. Well, Um, the he's, I think he's like a lesser version of Sebastian Bourdais. And in a lot of ways, that's basically what he is. Uh, What he was, he was able to get better opportunities in formula one. So he could get podiums and the whole bit, but he, I think he could have a Bourdais like career in IndyCar given time and maybe moving to a better organization, but we'll see what happens with that. McLaughlin, of course, is running the whole year. Pressure will be on him to perform. Uh, First race out, new track for him. Uh, We'll see what he does this weekend, I would think, but, and then Johnson, you know, seven time, you know, what are you going to do? It's asking a lot, really, to perform in this series, given the learning curve that he has. Yeah, for Johnson, I think I, I've talked about it before, but the challenge is going to be for him uh, the amount of downforce and the difference of, of that between uh, the Sprint Cup car, the Monster Cup car, whatever, to the Indy car. And 
uh, with with uh, the IndyCar. He's going to have to drive a, a lot deeper into the uh, corners, and when he's at a road course or you know at, at some of the short ovals, well, there's still kind of full with all even those tracks. But I mean, at a lot of these short ovals, like you know, with the the Cup car, you have a longer braking distance uh, at the road courses than you do in any car any car you can drive really deep in the corner get on the brakes really quickly uh downshift and then kind of get back into it and you know you you're um back onto the straight or whatever but you know with the, the cup car um you know you have to really finesse the the handling and and all that stuff and i think for johnson the challenge is going to be for him to kind of uh get used to that level of downforce and then uh, just be able to at least maintain some kind of level of pace with the, uh, the rest of the field. And uh, I think for this, this is a good start for him. Um, I mean, he's 19th and had a couple of laps down, but um, I mean, he, he, it's all about him getting seat time and getting experience in, in that car. So going forward, I mean, if he can improve and you know, at least maintain a lead lap pace throughout the rest of the event, even if he does end up being the last car in the lead lap, uh, I think that's probably going to be good enough for him. Um, you know, it's all about the the challenge and being able to uh, race and and compete against some of the best open wheel drivers in America. So for him, that's what I think it'll be. And uh, I think on Sunday, um, you kind of saw that struggle at the beginning, and then you know they ended up falling laps down. So uh, I think improving forward, they they've got to be able to just uh, improve upon that, I guess, and then. Um, Grosjean, I mean, I'm not surprised either. And that's just based on his experience in open wheel from before. And uh, he, he qualified seventh and ended up finishing 10th. So a little bit of drop off there at the end of the race. But I mean, not really surprised by his level of pace uh, and his ability to uh, drive an open wheel car. I mean, I think if anything, um, yeah, he's probably a, a lesser version of Sebastian Bourdais, but he'll probably be limited by Dale coin racing equipment, I guess. Um, and maybe, uh, he'd have to be in a, you know, Chip Ganassi car and Jardy car, you know, even a Penske car to really see what he could do, uh, with an Indy car. But, uh, I think for him, um, he'll continue to uh, finish solidly, I guess, at all these road course tracks. And then I think with Scott McGoffin, I mean, he's definitely got the most potential, I think out of, uh, the three rookies. And, you know, I think when it comes to the ovals, he's definitely, uh, going to have a, a lot of chances and uh, a lot of opportunities to, to finish well, but at the road courses, I think, um, definitely have a, a little bit of a challenge, kind of the same transition that Jimmy Johnson has, but I, I think the, you know, the V8 supercar is a lot different compared to the cup car. So I think maybe the transition is going to be a little bit quicker. And obviously I think as we go throughout the season and, you know, they have more tests and uh, more practice sessions. I think he'll get a little bit more acclimated on the road courses and we're coming up to St. Petersburg, which he's been to before. So now that he has at least a race of experience, um, maybe we're going to see a little bit different result from uh, McLaughlin this weekend. And then going forward, um, it's going to be interesting to see like, what's he going to be like at some of these places like uh, road America or um, Laguna Seca and, some of these uh, other street courses like Long Beach as well. Um, I think we're going to see a, a very interesting season from McLaughlin. And um, with V8 supercars, they've been able to uh, race on street courses and on road courses. So he's used to it. It's just, you know, being able to have the, the same level of pace uh, relative to the car like he, he has in the V8 supercars. But um, his 
uh, season. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. And um, I mean, he's going to win rookie of the year by default, like we've said. And then uh, I think next year uh, going forward and, and, you know, future years, is he going to be able to be the top driver at Penske? I think that's probably the question for him. Yeah. The, his deal is more about building upon his experience and learning from all the people that are there. You have two drivers that are on the back end of their career in, in power and Pagano. Uh, Pagano, of course, knows he's going to have a sports car career no matter what he does. So he's, he's fine. And he's going to be sponsored by Menards, I think, for life. So he's also got employment that way. Um, with power, I don't know what's going to happen with him. But the reality is New Garden's going to be there for the long haul. He's just missing the Indy 500 at this point from basically being employed for life. And McLaughlin's that, that X factor guy. Uh, he's the New Zealand driver that Penske has been searching for since Scott Dixon went to freaking Ganassi. Uh, he's waited 20 plus years and he finally has got one. Uh, McLaughlin has the talent potential to do whatever he wants. Um, they thought NASCAR was going to be his path initially. And then he expressed, I think, a, a willingness or interest in IndyCar, got in one and was very fast. And it all changed. And well, like you said, Josh, in regards to the supercars, I mean, yeah, it's they're in between. I think they're not a, they're definitely not uh, like the cup cars of today. They're definitely not an Indy car, but they're kind of in between. You know, they have a little more downforce, a little more stability and kind of bits and pieces and hard braking and all the all kind of things that kind of exist within Indy car. But then you have power steering and some of the other pieces that definitely don't. McLaughlin will figure it out, and I think he'll figure it out by middle of the season. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, this is a whole learning year. Uh I think the end game for him is to run Indy in 22 as part of like a walk-off or at least a partial walk-off. I think he, his future is going to be in sports cars. Um, I think I forget what story or who, who posted it, uh, but somebody was reading on Twitter where it was like, you know, Dale Earnhardt wanted to go and run sports cars after he was done with NASCAR. And so Jimmy Johnson's like, I want to run Indy cars and I want to run sports cars. So I guess it's kind of what one seven time champion didn't get to do it. So another one's going to get to, and um, we'll see how that goes. I mean, it, his goal is to not be last uh, in sessions or qualify last in races. I think it sounds extreme or it sounds horrible, but you know, the, there are drivers he can beat on this grid, honestly. And that's just based on who he is and who he drives for. Those two things alone, he can beat some of the guys that are on this grid, honestly. And uh, it's about beating those guys weekly and see what happens other, otherwise. Don't make, don't make any major errors like, you know, spinning yourself out, whatever, getting an arrow wash kind of deal like what's going to happen at Talladega this weekend like go and keep yourself clean 
give yourself a chance, run full races and learn. Um, and Jimmy Johnson's one of the greatest ever. He'll, he'll figure it out. Rojan is going to have his moments this year where, you know, he looks like a pretty good race car driver and then he'll look like Roman Grosjean, um, you know, mainly because he drives for Rick Ware. So that's something we will see. Uh, St. Petersburg this weekend, very difficult race, very uh, treacherous. I don't know. Are you, are you going this weekend for uh, St. Pete? Yeah, I'll be there on Sunday. I ended up buying tickets to it and, uh, gonna be around St. Petersburg, I guess, the whole weekend. Got some uh friends uh from college that live there, so gonna be seeing some friends there and then be watching the race there in person on Sunday. So never been to an any car race. Um, so it's gonna be exciting and gonna be uh I guess the uh between turn nine and turn ten, I guess, at St. Pete. Uh so definitely gonna be watching the cars go into the uh hard braking zone there before the last corner and in, in the finish line. So that's gonna be a real interesting sight to see. And uh, you know, maybe I'll buy a Jimmy Johnson shirt or or a um a Simon Pagano shirt or or Alex Rossi shirt. One of those guys. I mean I, I like a, a lot of the indie car guys. So uh probably have to get some indie car gear as well uh during the weekend. Yeah, it's pretty expensive stuff, so go and pick wisely. Uh, the fact of the matter is we could go and use our, uh, I think, what is it, GSP28 on uh, uh, CircleBDieCast.com for IndyCar merch, so definitely use that. I got free shipping on a order I just did a few days ago, so it does pay off. Uh, plenty of Jimmy Johnson stuff. Uh, not as much for other guys that have been around a long time, but Hey, tell us when you, when you know how to do merch and you've done it for two decades plus, I guess you go and put out good merch and good looking car too, the Carvana car. So we'll see and enjoy. Of course, you'll have fun. Indy cars are awesome. You'll get to see the road to Indy, which will probably be a little more exciting in some ways because of the ability for them to pass and the kind of hunger. And uh, so, yeah, we'll talk about that next week as well on the GSP. We'll get your firsthand accounts of going to St. Pete, which has become one of the uh, flagship races on the calendar behind, of course, the 500 and Long Beach. And I think Gateway really has become one of those as well uh, that stand out as big time races for this calendar. So we'll, uh, Get your thoughts on that next week, Josh, and also about what ended up happening at St. Pete for the IndyCar series. On to Formula One and uh, Max Verstappen going out and winning uh, the Parmigiano-Reggiano Grand Prix at Imola. And uh, that was uh, basically given, even though he didn't qualify on pole, uh, Lewis ended up qualifying on pole, getting his 99th pole of his career. And he tried to do the overcut, didn't work because they had a bad pit stop. And then it just kind of unraveled from there. Max Verstappen got the start. There was rain uh, at the start of the race or before the start of the race. And uh, he was able to get past both Lewis and uh, his teammate. Sergio Perez got away and it really wasn't much of a race uh, 
for the whole t- for the vast majority of it was it Nicholas Latifi and uh, Egghead uh, got into it, and uh, Williams ended up with one destroyed race car on the first lap, and uh, Egghead drove off, but drove off and finished last of the classified finishers of those classified. I mean, then you had uh, the, the wreck that we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, took out a couple of guys there. And so they had a complete restart after that Botas Russell wreck and Verstappen got away and it was over because Lewis Hamilton had to take a wave around. I think he was ninth. They didn't decide to do a standing start which I think was dumb. They should have just done a standing start and it might've been a different race, but whatever at that point, it doesn't matter. I think Imola for as much as everyone wanted to be nostalgic about it, there's a reason why they stopped going there. And when you basically only have one passing zone at a naturally, you know, a natural a terrain circuit, uh, you probably, and it's way too narrow and whatever, all the other things that kind of exist with Imola. Uh, it's why they don't go there anymore. Um, we'll be going to a more modern circuit here in a couple of weeks time at Portimao uh, to, to see the Formula One cars where they can kind of open up or get opened up and kind of press all the aspects of the car. Verstappen, Hamilton, Lando Norris gets another podium. Uh, for McLaren, so a great start to the year for Lando Norris uh, in, in responding to having Daniel Ricciardo as his teammate who's still trying to get used to this McLaren. Ferraris finished fourth and fifth, Leclerc and Sainz, and then uh, Pierre Gasly, who started fifth, ended up finishing seventh. Uh, the Aston Martin of Stroll is able to finish, of course, while his teammate has to go and retire the second race in a row. And then Ocon and Alonso for Alpine finished ninth and 10th. Sergio Perez, I think, had a time penalty, which ended up uh, knocking him out of the points. And uh, Yuki Sonoda had uh, different things going on there. I think Kimi Raikkonen also had a time penalty, uh, which uh, for, I think, track limits, Track limits for Raikkonen, and I think uh, Sergio Perez had something with the pits, and that's why both of them ended up outside of the point. So, yeah, Max Verstappen, he's a point behind Lewis Hamilton because of the fastest lap point for Lewis. Uh, This is the battle that everyone has wanted for a long time, and I think we're definitely going to have it this year between the two best drivers in Formula One. Yeah, this race, I mean, it, there wasn't a whole lot of action for the lead, but you know, definitely the crash between George Russell and Valtteri Bottas kind of at least made it for the highlight reel there. And then, you know, the uh, battle between uh, Verstappen, I mean, he was just basically out there the entire race, uh, was able to beat Lewis Hamilton on the start, on the restart after the red flag. And then it was just, you know, basically uh, cruise from there. And then uh, Lewis Hamilton, I mean, he had crash damage uh, from spinning out and uh, he had the bit of mistakes, I guess, throughout some of those restart uh, on that restart and on the initial start. And 
uh, just wasn't the race that Lewis Hamilton needed. But at the end, you know, he was able to make his way back up and get up to second and uh, still tie and then get the fastest lap and be, be able to hold his point lead over one point over Max Verstappen. And, and uh, I think, you know, for him, uh, I mean, he still has the lead, but he's definitely uh, under thin ice, at least uh, so far going into this year in Formula One. So I think going into the next race, um, he's going to have be a little bit uh, under pressure, I guess, to try and win to at least uh, keep the points lead. And then I think for for stop and you know he's just got to go out there and and keep winning or at least uh, get second and just continue to maintain the pressure on Lewis Hamilton. And you know, at least finally we're having a, a initially at least uh, into the season we're having a, a good points battle between uh, Lewis Hamilton and whoever is in second and that being uh, Max Verstappen this year. So. Uh, between those two, I mean, you're seeing the the pace from Red Bull and then also uh, the Mercedes, while they do have uh, pace as well, um, they're seemingly weaker, I guess, this year. And it's given the opportunity for Red Bull to uh, at least get closer and, and, and maybe uh, uh, be equal to them. But then I think, you know, we have to also mention McLaren uh, and Lando Norris. I mean, they, they uh, were basically in the uh, podium most of that race. And then, um, they were in second, uh, after Hamilton fell back and then, uh, Hamilton was able to get around Lando there, uh, at the end of the race and just had a little bit more pace. Uh, Lando wasn't able to hold them off, but still a good result getting third, uh, for him. So I, I think, you know, you talked about it, uh, with, uh, Ricardo, I think Ricardo is definitely, uh, at least challenging Lando Norris and definitely for, uh, both of those guys, it's good. Although I think, Ricardo probably wants to see a little bit better result and then sixth, you know, probably wants to finish a little bit higher, uh, at least try to get a podium. So, um, McLaren continuing to, uh, separate themselves from the midfield. Uh, and I think as we go throughout the season, they'll probably, uh, end up being third in the constructors and potentially, I think Lando Norris end up being third on the, uh, drivers, uh, standings at the end of the season. So, uh, I think, we may be seeing what uh, the season's going to look like, at least for the top three. But then I think, you know, also in the, the midfield, um, a little bit different results this time. And Alpine finishing both in the uh, the top 10 and getting points. Fernando Alonso getting his first uh, points of the year, albeit uh, just one point in 10th. Um, and then, you know, Sergio Perez uh, probably should have had a better race and still continuing to have, the, I guess, bad luck in the second Red Bull car. So I think that's going to be another challenge there if um, uh, Sergio Perez can also uh, finish well and and uh, have good races because I think that's just going to help um, Max Verstappen in his uh, title fight with uh, Lewis Hamilton there. But, you know, there is also definitely some incidents there. I mean, we mentioned it earlier with George Russell and Valtteri Bottas. That was kind of the uh, highlight of the race, I guess, uh, outside of the rain. And I think, you know, for... George Russell, it's another mistake, I guess, but, um, you know, he's learning and I think he probably wrecked the guy. He's probably going to take over eventually, uh, at Mercedes, but I, I think, uh, for, for them, I mean, it was a, definitely a bad incident and I'm pretty sure, uh, Valtteri Bottas probably isn't happy with, uh, George Russell, but I think Russell's probably going to have to just talk to him and, you know, they'll, they'll, uh, hash it out, I guess, and, uh, give their, takes on what happened there and they'll move on. But I mean, for Valtteri Botas, this isn't the result that he needed 
Um, cause I mean, he's still trying to win the championship as well. And, or at least, you know, get a, a good points finish. And this is not something he wanted to see. So, um, it's going to be a, a dent in his, uh, I guess, race for the title. And, uh, I mean, for him to, uh, have that, I mean, maybe he might not finish in the top three, uh, at the end of the year, but we'll have to see what the, uh, results end up being. But I mean, for Russell, just uh, another mistake, but I mean, he'll learn and uh, definitely uh, um, another bad result for him. But I mean, he just has to move on from it and uh, be able to just, you know, grow from that incident, I guess. Yeah, I don't think that George did anything wrong. You could say it was aggressive, but I don't think he did anything wrong there, honestly. I think that Botas did move or at least there was like a juke of some sort. I know that you you would have more experience in terms of having to deal with it on the sim side, where if somebody makes a, you know, a quick uh, move where that could affect your path or wherever you have to go and in turn could cause an accident. Um, the fact that Botas was running that far back is the story as much as anything everyone talks about all the other crap uh what do you call the total wolf saying oh you should be in cleo cup and then reno uh cleo cup going and jumping in on it is like okay we'll go and pay for your uh entry fee you just have to go like that was a good job by reno and the cleo cup for responding to that great promotion too and their part going across brands but um Botas has it's two races so far this year, and he has not really been a factor in either of them. Uh, he was a little more of a factor at uh, Bahrain, but he was a non-factor the whole entire weekend, qualified eighth, and basically was just out there. He's kind of in the way. And I think that's a fundamental problem when you consider they're trying to run a full calendar I mean, they aren't going to run a full calendar the way that it was laid out initially. Like the Canadian Grand Prix is not going to happen. Uh, and they're trying to hedge for that. I think they're going to go to Turkey again. Hopefully they put rubber down so that it's not like a shit show. Um, you have to wonder about the U.S. Grand Prix at, at Coda too at this point. Um, I think there's enough time that they might be able to run it. But, of course, with all nonsense going on here, never know. But, you know, there's I, th- I think that wreck, yeah, it could have been prevented. Yeah, they probably he didn't have to make that move, but that's the only passing zone on the racetrack. And he was a faster car, which in its own right is kind of scary um, that George was going faster than than Botas in us in a Williams. Uh Say it for what it is. I mean, Lewis had a hard time passing. Uh, I forget who that kid was uh, initially on the restart when he was starting ninth. It took him five, six laps to pass whoever the heck he was behind, and that was part of the reason why he couldn't go. He, his his race basically was run. I think it was Lance Stroll because the Aston Martin's a dog and uh, basically a, a dog turd. And it was just in the way and he couldn't pass him. 
And then it took him a couple of laps every single time he had to get to the next car to pass him. And, you know, you're giving up three to three seconds a lap behind some of these cars, three to five seconds a lap. The Max Verstappen won by over 20 seconds or whatever the hell it is here. He won by 22 seconds in the end. So can't give up that much time. Uh, that mistake that he made trying to pass Russell at uh, Tosa was theoretically the deciding factor. I think the deciding factor happened on the start. If he actually has a decent start, um, he might be able to dictate strategy. He might be able to dictate a few things there. Uh, instead, the bad start and then all the other stuff that came along with that, it really didn't matter. Max went out there and won that race. Because he was given, he made the start. He gave himself the opportunity to control the race, and he did. So one to one, going to Portimao uh, next, not this weekend, but the following weekend uh, for the second uh, Portuguese Grand Prix at Portimao in a few months' time. So we'll see how that all goes uh, here next week, and we'll talk about that on the GSP. Onto the third X and X marks his spot with Alex Bowman winning in on the same day as Jimmy Johnson made his IndyCar debut. The 48 car got its first cup win since 2017 at uh, Dover. And that was Alex Bowman's win on Sunday at Richmond, taking it away from Dennis Hamlin and Joey Logano, among others, who had the better cars there. Uh, I mean, Bowman, and there's the thing they're trying to showing trending of when Alex Bowman wins a race, the track closes or whatever. First was Chicago, now it's California Speedway or whatever. They're not racing there this year and they're not going to race. Supposedly they're going to race there next year, but I don't buy it. Um, and now Richmond. So hopefully for my sake, they don't close Richmond, but even though it's not a great racetrack anymore, at least with this car. At least with the Gen, for a while, they haven't had good racing at, at Richmond, I think, since the Gen 5 car came along and Gen 6. Hopefully the new one will be better. But Bowman the Showman had a rocket there at the last restart, Josh, uh, and was able to go and take a, a much-needed uh, win, in a sense, to go and lock himself in the playoffs with his teammates. Byron and Larson, and at the same token, the defending series champion, the second-place driver in points last year, and the fourth-place driver in points, who is the runaway points leader this year, don't have wins in the Cup Series. Yeah, for Alex Bowman, I mean, uh, we didn't predict him winning either. He was talking about not predicting Alex Blow. Well, we definitely didn't predict uh, Alex Bowman there. And, I mean, he, he kind of came out of nowhere. And Greg Ives made the right call, I guess, at the end. They made an air pressure adjustment, from what I understand, and, and that really like helped the car just take off on the restart. And uh, he said that, I guess, they were able to try that out at the initial part of the race. So, like They had the uh, 
competition caution and they were able to kind of try that same adjustment and then they had in their back pocket for later and and when they they knew that they had the pace on on that uh initial part so they kind of took what they learned from that and applied it to the very end of the race and they had that opportunity and then that just allowed alex bowen to go up there and uh, take the lead away from denny hamlin and then uh seal the win there but for him i mean it's his third win now in the cup series and um, you know, he hasn't really like been a guy that's been able to show himself at multiple races, but I mean, if, if he can, you know, win at least a couple of times a year, I think that should, uh, be the type of career that I guess he has. But I mean, this year, um, they've been kind of inconsistent, I guess, uh, at the races, they've either been in the top 10 kind of there, um, maybe being able to contend and, or they've kind of, uh, either had bad luck or they just didn't have the handling right in the car. So I think, uh, this maybe will show, help them, uh, kind of spring, spring forward their season and be a, a little bit more consistent. But I mean, now they are the third Hendrick car to win a race and we haven't seen Chase Elliott win. And I mean, I don't think for Chase Elliott, that's a lack of, uh, pace or whatever. I think they just haven't had uh, the right luck, I guess, to win. Cause you know, it's definitely a, a hard series to win, although there are eight drivers now winning. So, uh, for Hendrick really, I mean, uh, they have to be proud of themselves, but still it's, you know, still kind of the beginning of the season and first third of the year, I guess. And they're definitely, uh, got a lot of time to, uh, for everybody else to catch up and for them to be able to improve. But, uh, for, uh, Denny Hamlin, I think you have to talk about his ability to lead races. I mean, last week at Phoenix, he led, uh, a bunch of that or at not at Phoenix, but at, uh, at Martinsville, he was able to lead a lot of that race. And then at Richmond here, he, uh, led the most laps again, but he didn't close and it's beginning to become a trend for Denny Hamlin this year and said in post-race, like he wasn't uh, able, even though he wasn't able to win, uh, he, he was still glad he was in that position, um, because he'd rather be somebody that would lead more laps and not win than somebody like Bowman, I guess, or Truex that maybe doesn't dominate like he does and, and, and win the race, which I found that to be an odd quote, but, uh, it, I don't really know why anyone would say that. Cause I'd, I'd rather win than finish second. I think, I mean, I, I think anybody would know that, but, um, it's beginning to become a trend. And even though they are leading point standings, I think you have to be a little bit concerned for his ability at the end of the year uh, to win, because that's what it's going to come down to at Phoenix at the end of the year for uh, whoever ends up winning the title is that they're going to have to make the race winning pass at some point. And if it comes down to a late restart, do you trust uh, Denny Hamlin to be able to close the deal like that? And we've seen him at late restarts, like at Richmond and then at, um, uh, Bristol where he had a chance to either, uh, defend the lead or take the lead away. And he wasn't able to do both. So, uh, that's going to be something to watch, I guess, for Denny Hamlin going forward, uh, and, you know, throughout the rest of the year, but, uh, nothing at Richmond really happened. I mean, there was a, a spin out, I think for Ryan Newman there with, uh, Austin Sindrick, but I mean, a very, very uneventful race, uh, a lot of green flag runs, which, uh, seemed to become the norm for Richmond Spence, uh, gen six car. Um, I, I think a, a lot of it has to do with how they prepare the track. Uh, they talked about like having sealer on the racetrack. Like if you go back to the mid two thousands, early two thousands, late nineties, uh, when Richmond reconfigured after its original design, uh, the track was very shiny looking and asphalt was a, a lot more blacker than it is now. 
and they say that they don't do it anymore because they're worried about the i guess the life uh time of the asphalt and if they had the sealer it could cause the asphalt to uh, fall apart more quickly so um that might be why they don't have sealer but thinking you know it's a combination of the gen 6 car just not really being that great and then also just the track just not working well with uh, the tires i guess and um maybe with the next car we'll see a little bit more of uh richmond being the action track which it's uh i guess that's its nickname and certainly over the years the last couple of years there hasn't really been a whole lot of action to talk about at richmond so um you know congrats to alex bowman and all those guys they they did a a, a good job at the end being able to uh, execute the strategy correctly but um you know richmond just happened and wasn't much of a race other than the end yeah, and that's typical. I've been there a few times, and the races there have not been good. And that was with, I think, the big ass spoiler the one time. And then, of course, I have 550 package another time. And, and so now they have a 750 with a small blade. And, you know, it's just basically a bore fest. I think there was eight cars on the lead lap, which, I mean, it, here's the thing for, all the people I want to talk about NASCAR and you know, they, they do all these gimmicks and whatever. That's what a lot of these races used to be. Um, there used to be, uh, if they're going to have super long green flag runs, you're going to lap most of the field. And that's what happened. You had eight cars on the lead lap. I think there was 10 or whatever, 11, whatever that could worked out to be in the, the end. Uh, Let's go to the result just to confirm. So there you had, or with the wave around, it ended up with 14 cars on lead lap, Brad Kozlowski, and 14 there. So Bowman, Hamlin, Logano, Christopher Bell, Martin Truex. So Gibbs cars three out of the top five. Al Marola gets his best finish of the year in six. Byron, Kyle Busch, uh, D. Burrito, and Dylan, Blaney, Clyde. Kurt Busch, Keselowski, and Ross Chastain first car one lap down with uh, Daniel Suarez in 16. So in the grand scheme, there wasn't a whole lot that uh, came out of that deal, uh, that race. Uh, it wasn't the most uh, exciting. There's two guys that dominated. It was Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex. They led 314 of the 400 laps outside of that you had joey logano led nearly 50 laps so then you get into that then you have 363 of the 400 laps was led by three guys so it was uh pretty straightforward people talk about how it's a short track it ain't a short track people complain about iowa richmond's the same thing it's it's more like a one and a half mile racetrack than it is a short track uh, so for what it's worth, we'll see what happens as they go to Talladega where they're going to just destroy three quarters of the field. So, uh, and the race really won't be much of a race anyway. Uh, we will see how that whole thing comes around in the truck series race. John Hunter Nemechek uh, gets another win and solidifies his spot as the favorite in the truck series. Uh, I mean, Kyle Busch, he beats Kyle Busch. Andrew Smith gets a fourth place finish. 
similar to the Cup Series race. There really was only uh, two two vehicles or three vehicles that were up there. Grant Enfinger led 71 laps in the 98 truck and finished first and second in the stages, swapping those with John Hunter. Uh, they led like 185 of the 250 laps, and then you count another uh, 50 laps there between Kyle Busch and Chandler Smith, so there's four vehicles that led on Saturday. Uh, Sam Ayer started tailback, finished top 10. Johnny Sauter uh, finished, started 19th, finished 5th. Tyler Ingram finished 3rd after starting 30th. And so that was a big run for him. Uh, yeah, defending series champion Sheldon Creed finished 11th. Uh, he had a lot of trucks on the lead lap. He had 22 trucks on the lead lap at the end of the day. Um, you know, guys like Truex uh, has had problems all year, had a terrible finish dead last. Um, Jennifer Ho Cobb, who trended this past week or last few days because she didn't get approved for Talladega. People say it's because she ran and her and Norm Benning got into it. Uh, she's intentionally wrecked people on the racetrack. Some of the other antics that she's been known for. And the fact that it's Rick Ware probably didn't help. They'll stay the consistently inconsistent and selective enforcement aspect of it aside. Um, there's uh it's typical NASCAR though. So um in regards to John Hunter Nemechek, uh I mean I I don't think we I, I think we figured it was gonna happen, uh that he was gonna be a, a factor, but uh he's definitely dominating. And maybe it's just because it's the first time in his career he's been in really great fully funded equipment and now he's showing what he's about now he's a dad too so he's really more motivated as well and he's looking for the next step in his career and i i mean i don't know how he loses this i don't see how he loses this championship really um he would need to have like what happened to william byron uh to have like one like huge really bad race and just have a bad round in the playoffs or something. That's literally the only way that he loses this championship. I don't know. I don't know about you, Josh, but I, there's just no way that with everything they got going there with the leadership and the, the his crew chief the whole bit. I don't know, Eric Phillips. I don't see how he doesn't close the deal. Well for John Hummer Nienicek, he's definitely established himself as the best driver here in the truck series so far and he's led 257 laps to start the season here in 2021 in the truck series and you know you compare that to ben Rhodes, who's won two races as well and has just as many top tens but he's only led 27 laps so that just shows you the contrast between uh the two drivers and i i know for hunter nevichek uh, a lot of that did come in the uh last race here at richmond but still i mean the uh number of laps led between the two is uh, so different. And I think for John Hunter Nemechek, like he's been able to beat Kyle Busch two times at Las Vegas and then here at Richmond. And I think, you know, for the first time, really like, you know, normally we, we see Kyle Busch enter a truck race and he can 
more than likely pencil him in as the race winner. Um, and the last couple of times, it just seems like Kyle Busch does it isn't as uh, quick, I guess, at these truck races and it's his own car beating him, which I think is uh, pretty good and shows a, a lot of progress for um, KBM that they're actually able to uh, have their other cars win races besides Kyle Busch. But then also, I mean, it just shows you that John Ernmanichek is really talented in these cars and definitely uh, when he has a, a good car behind him, a good truck behind him, he's able to go out and dominate races and win and beat Kyle Busch at uh, truck races. So uh, I think that this win does say a lot for um, him and uh, his season and also for his, uh, you know, his career and his talent ability. Like if he's able to get into uh, a better ride in the cup series or even the Xfinity series, and uh, he's able to compete for race wins and uh, championships. I mean, I think he's going to be able to be able to do that. So uh, I think for him, this win, while you know, not really that big of a win. I mean, it is a little bit of a statement, I guess, and and that he's able to win two races now and uh, secure his spot for the Truck Series playoffs at the end of the season, and just the fact that he's been able to beat Kyle Busch twice this season, I think, just says a lot for him as a uh, for his season. Yeah, it's that's why he hired him. Kyle Busch knows he doesn't really make a whole lot of money doing this deal. So he knows that he wants to win both the drivers and the owners. So he might make a few bucks back doing this and he needed a higher driver. And now he has, and uh, John honor is hungry. He's got a lot on the table right now to try to go and make this happen. So he can go and have a career. So it's all right. We're going to go and see how this goes along. A couple weeks off, they'll be running Kansas, I think, uh, next week, not this coming weekend, but the following week uh, for a truck series. And they got, I think they got, uh, was it Coda and Charlotte, Darlington, Coda and Charlotte. Oh, so it might be running. Yeah, I think Darlington might be, I don't know, who cares? Fucking surly in the season, who gives a fuck? And anyways, John Hunter New Jackson win the championship. Um, going to the uh, roundup here, and uh, before we go on all the picks, gotta talk about the MotoGP World Championship. They were at Portimao, where Formula One will be here um, next week, and we'll talk about that on the GSP. In regards to um, the uh, race uh, results, you saw Fabio Quattararo go and win his second consecutive race, as I mentioned earlier. And a great start to the season for the Monster Energy Yamaha outfit, uh, three for three. Quattararo over Pecco Bagnaia and defending world champion Joanne Mir. Franco Morbidelli finished fourth on the Petronas Yamaha. Brad Binder on the KTM finished fifth. Alex Jaspargaro sixth. Mark Marquez, the eight-time world champion, uh, making his return, finished seventh. His brother, Alex, finished eighth. 
Ania Bastaini finished ninth and Taka Nakagami on the second. Uh, uh, what is it? I, I'm forgetting the team that he rides for, but LCR Honda team finished 10th. Uh, Maverick Vinales 11th. Uh, you go through some of the other guys on points. Outside of the points, Miguel Oliveira, uh, Yoan Zarco, DNF, Alex Rins, Alexander, Valentina Rossi, Alexander Rossi, Valentina Rossi. Jack Miller, Polis Barbaro, all DNF'd out of this race. So Quattararo goes into the next race, which will be the uh, Spanish Grand Prix at um, in the next week. Which will, there's, I mean, you say Spanish Grand Prix, there's three races in Spain anyway. So Valencia, Aragon, they'll be racing at uh, – I think Catalonia, and that'll be uh, next week on uh, the MotoGP, and we'll talk about that in a little more detail there. Uh, Quattararo takes a 15-point lead over Peco Bagnaia, who has two podiums so far this year, versus Quattararo's two firsts and a fifth. And then Maverick Vinales is third, with a win, a fifth and 11th, Johan Zarco had two seconds at uh, Qatar and then didn't even score points last week. You have Joanne Mir with a fourth, seventh, and third. Alex Jaspargro uh, with three top tens. Alex Rins, who didn't score last week. Binder, Bassaini, and Jorge Martin, your top 10 as they go into the next round at uh, Catalonia. And then you had Formula E last race at uh, uh, Rome, and then they'll be racing at Valencia at the Ricardo Tormo circuit uh, this uh, coming weekend. So they're actually running on a permanent road course. So that'll be something. And uh, before they go to Monaco in a couple of weeks' time. So. <laughs> Need something to see for sure. Uh, Romy Pre saw the first race with Jean Eric Verne defending uh, her former champion uh, win over Sam Bird and Mitch Evans for the Jaguar team. Robin Frines and Sebastian Buemi finishing fourth and fifth. Uh, Rene Ras, Pascal Verline, Alex Lynn for Mahindra. Maxi Gunther for Andretti and Nick Cassidy for Virgin, the top 10. And then in race two, Stoffel Van Dorn won for Mercedes over Alexander Sims, who races for Mahindra, Pascal Verline for Porsche, Eduardo Mortara for Venturi Gunther, and Evans, defending champion Antonio Felix da Costa, former champion Sebastian Buemi. They're in eighth, Tom Bloomquist and Nico Muller uh, rounds out the top 10. In regards to the standings, uh, Sam Bird leads by four points over his teammate Mitch Evans, and he has a nine-point lead over Robin Freins and 10 over Stoffel Van Dorn. Nick Vries fifth, Verline sixth, 11 points back. Eduardo Mortara is 13 points back in seventh. 
Um, Jean Eric Verne's one win is his points tally so far this year. Otherwise, he didn't have any scores. Uh, Sims and DaCosta in his uh, title defense has a lot of room to make up. He's 22 points behind in the top 10. Uh, so for and then also supercars. Sorry, huh? so so we had supercars uh, last week at Simon's Plains, and uh, in regards to the um, super sprint there at uh, the Tasmania Super Sprint, and uh, you had Marcus Ambrose return go on TV. Uh, he also drove uh, Davison, Will Davison's car, and uh, made him sweat a little bit. So that'll be something that we see uh, for that. Um, let me just go and go into this right here. That's not, oh, that's good. Um, that, and then. Supercars. The Repco Supercars Challenge, the championship for the twenty twenty one season. Uh, the races so far this year have seen. Um, Shane Van Gisberg and Jamie Wincup, uh, Chaz Master, uh, the winners last week. Uh, you know, Shane Van Gisberg has been dominant so far this year. Has won, he won the first five or first six races of the season before uh, his teammate, the retiring Jamie Wincup, basically Jimmy Johnson of V8 Supercars. Um, in his last year before he takes over ownership of the organization and running the organization, what is now Triple Eight. Um, and then Chaz Mostert for Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, uh, getting his first win in a few years. So Holden's have won all eight races so far this year. Van Gisbergen's well ahead in points. Um, 139-point lead over Wind Cup, 165-point lead over Mostert. Uh, Cam Waters is the closest forward. Uh, he's over 200 points behind right now. And Will Davison in fifth. You have winner Frosty Winterbottom, David Reynolds driving for the Kellys in a Penrite Ford, Anton Di Pasquale in the uh, Shell V Power Mustang. And then Nick Percat and Brody Kostecki. And it's a close battle between Percat and all the way going down to Scott Pye. So ninth through 13th are only separated by 11 points. Their next race will be at the OTR Super Sprint at the Bend, Northworth Park. That's three weeks away. So be a little while and then they'll go to Winton. So it'll be some time between now and then. So hopefully the Fords can actually get a little more competitive. 
We'll transfer over to St. Pete and the IndyCar series this coming week at uh, the Honda Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. Um, and I'll, I guess for, I'll throw to you, Josh, first. You can go and tell us who you think will win. This will do it this way. Who do you think will win? Who you, or who, who do you think will win pole? Who do you think will win? And who's a dark horse pick? Well, I think for, for this race here, um, I think pole, uh, I'm going to go with Joseph Newgarden winning the pole. I mean, he's had a lot of pace at St. Petersburg in the past. And, uh, I mean, he did win the last two events at St. Petersburg. So I think definitely at least pace wise, he could be up there. Um, I think for the, for the win, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Pato award. Um, I think with, the results that he's been getting, I think he's uh, learned a lot. And I, I think maybe this is the weekend that he actually figures it out and wins the race. Um, um, I mean, I think other guys that can contend, uh, I mean, he's not really a wild card, but I mean, Alexander Rossi, I mean, led the most laps uh, last year in this race back in October and uh, ended up wrecking. So I think for him, if, if he's able to be up there, I think that's definitely possible. Uh, I think, you know, another wild card that maybe we have to think of is maybe somebody like uh, Connor Daly. Uh, I mean, they didn't have the greatest race, I guess, at uh, Barber, but uh, I think maybe here they maybe have a little bit more pace and maybe finish uh, somewhere top 10, I guess, or maybe outside of the top 10. Um, I think maybe another guy to look out for is Renus VK. Uh, he's definitely had a, a lot of good, uh, speed so far, uh, at Barber. And I think, you know, he ended up finishing sixth, uh, last weekend at Barber. So maybe that result kind of translates, I guess, into, uh, another top 10 run or maybe a top five run here at, uh, St. Petersburg this weekend. But I think overall, it's going to be Pato award winning the race, uh, here and getting his first win in the IndyCar series. I think that'll be a good pick. I like that pick at least. Uh, Pat Award going and getting that win. Um, I'll go a little different here. I'll go with Scott Dixon. He finally gets a win at St. Petersburg. He's never won there. He hasn't won at Barber still, but I think Dixon goes out there and wins, uh, not because of what he did last October in this race, but you know, at some point you would think that the greatest of all time or one of the greatest of all time will go and win at circuits he hasn't won at. And so to me, the way Ganassi ran last week, I think the momentum's in their favor. And for Dixon to go and get past one of the places where he hasn't been able to win before, it would be a good uh, momentum shift as he goes to Texas, goes to Indianapolis where he's won at, uh, you know, going into some of those races, which he's more familiar with winning. Uh, in regards to the poll, I agree with you, Josh. I think Newgarden starts on poll, but uh, Ganassi and them beat him on strategy. Uh, and in terms of a wild card, I mean, thinking about this right now, in regards to the Indy cars, I'm trying to look at who would be a good choice 
as a wild card. I'm, I'm having a hard time here. Um, I mean, it really shouldn't be that hard, but you know, uh, no, I'll check. I can, yeah. I mean, that's how competitive this series is. It's hard to pick a wild card. Yeah, I know. It's, I mean, it's just a blank. I mean, for me, I mean, I need to figure out something here, but um, just need a second because I'm, I'm trying to think out of outside the box here. You know, as a wild card, you went over the two uh, at Carpenter cars. And I'm trying to think what would be the equivalent. And I guess, you know what, I'll, I'll go there. I'll go with um, Harlan's dad, um, Courtney's husband, Graham Rehal, uh, as a lead, if you'd like to say, and somebody who I've been following for a long time in his career used to be a fan of his but in general i just whatever i think green rehaul if he can go out there and have a good run and make back-to-back good runs he didn't have a great qualifying run led the warm-up on sunday if he can have a good qualifying run who knows what could really happen for him at saint pete this weekend they're running a whole lot of throwback schemes to bob rehaul uh, this year because it's a 30 year anniversary of the Ray Hall team uh, since uh, when it was established and ran back in 91. So it'll a lot of cool scheme, mostly based on Miller, the Miller light schemes over his time. Uh, but hopefully we'll see some other ones kind of hearkening back to the Miller genuine draft days like he did, like Graham did. Uh, at Road America a couple of years ago. All right, and then we go from a, a race and uh, how competitive it is and how tough it is to pick certain drivers uh, to Talladega, where you could probably just pull a name out of a hat, and generally speaking, you might have a chance. We'll start with Xfinity, and uh, I think the there's two ways. We'll go with a winner. Um, and if it is a dash for cash person, then it's taken care of. But if it isn't a dash for cash person, who would it be? And then who would be the dash for cash winner? Um, and then somebody else that right now in their current situation, probably people wouldn't think about, but because it is Talladega, they have a chance to go out there and get a victory there, Josh. Well, I think the dash for cash uh, winner, I mean, if it's going to be a winner, um, I mean, I guess it has to be somebody like Noah Gragson. I mean, I, I know we've talked a lot about him so far this year negatively, uh, but I think if it's going to be a dash for cash guy, it's got to be him. I mean, he's won at restrictor plate races before at Daytona in 2020. Um, and he, at least in the running for the dash for cash, I mean, he won the previous one at Martinsville. So, I mean, 
you know, if he can win two in a row, I guess for dash for cash, uh, I think it's definitely a good opportunity for him to do that. But I mean, I have no idea how Xfinity will go. It's a little bit less predictable or a little bit more predictable than uh, the cup races. I mean, it's a different package that they run there a little bit uh, different style of racing that we see uh, compared to the cup series. But I mean, if it's not a dash for cash uh, guy, I mean, I'm going to go with uh, Austin Sindrick. He's already won at Daytona at the beginning of the year, and they've definitely shown the pace at the restrictor plate tracks the last couple of seasons. So Austin Sindrick gets uh, another win uh, in 2021, uh, or he's able to get his third win here in, in 2021. So I think for him, uh, another restrictor plate win. And then, uh, I think maybe a wild card in this race. Um, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's tough, but I, I think I'll go with, uh, Ryan Sieg, uh, as a wild card. I mean, he's definitely shown uh, a lot of speed here at the restrictor plate races at Daytona and Talladega, and they've always been kind of the underdog guy in the Xfinity series, uh, the last, you know, five or six years. And they've, kind of been up on the up and up, I guess. And I think I see them potentially getting another top 10 run here at Talladega, uh, like they've been accustomed to in the past. So uh, that's what I think for the Xfinity series. Yeah, for the, for me, in regards to Xfinity, um, for a winner, I'm going to go with, uh, AJ Allmendinger because of the quality cars and how fast they are in general, especially at these restrictor play races. Allmendinger will start 11 uh, in the race. Um, you know, you have Justin Haley who's won in all three series at Daytona. And so he's going to be a factor. He's going to be running a double, double dip this weekend, driving to 77 car as well. For the Fraternal of Eagles, um, in regards to an, a, you know, trying to think in terms of, and Jeffrey Earnhardt's driving a USA, Team USA throwback paint scheme from his grandfather. That's, that's cool, I guess. Um Trying to see here. Because what is the race results? Here, Barry, Gregson, Hemrick, and Gibbs. So, Barry, Gregson, Hemrick, and Gibbs. So, Ty Gibbs isn't in this race. And you have. Gregson, Hemrick, and Barry. I think Barry is the one that wins the dash for cash just because he's Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s boy. And if there's a track that is an Earnhardt track uh, of many or ones that would be considered an Earnhardt track, it would be Talladega. In regards to a wild card, I'll pick Jeremy Clements because he's somebody who has made something out of nothing for a very long time. They have good cars. Mark Setzer 
this crew chief has shown up and really made a major improvement to the team on a weekly basis. So that those are my picks. Uh, for cup, I will start. And in regards to a winner, I'll just go chalk. I'll go Ryan Blaney, uh, who's become kind of a super speedway specialist himself uh, with another, uh, you know, stellar performance. Uh, go and get another win. Um, other than that, a dark horse pick in regards to this weekend's race at uh, Talladega. I'm trying to go and look this up here. Dark horse pick, I would say, is Daniel Suarez. I'll take Daniel Suarez because they've been running well last few weeks. It's an RCR-affiliated car. Um, he has his speed and energy and the mental strength to go and get up there and run up front. So those are my picks. How about you, Josh, in regards to this weekend? Well, we talked about him earlier about why he hasn't won yet, and I'm going to pick uh, Chase Elliott to win this weekend at Talladega, get his second career Talladega win. Uh, he's definitely been really good on the restrictor plate or on the super speedway tracks in the past. And I think this weekend he gets the first win of the season and uh, adds his name to the list of winners this year, the list of people who drive for Rick Hendrick that have won this year. So I, th I think uh, he'll be up front there at the end and win. And I think for a wild card, I'll go with uh, Corey LaJoy. Uh, they finished uh, ninth back at the Daytona 500. Uh, and they're the type of team that could get a top 10 run at a super speedway race. And I think uh, they've definitely got the speed that they can uh, keep up throughout the race. They may not be up front the entire race, but I think at the end, when it all sells it out, they'll get a, a top 10 run a, a, again here at Talladega, just like they did at the beginning of the year at Daytona. So uh, Chase Elliott and Corey LaJoy. Yeah, that'll be something. Corey LaJoy stacking pennies, running another maggot machine. Uh, see how well that works out for him. Uh, and then, of course, Clyde, who has run well at Talladega over the years. It's a family lineage thing probably as well, which might explain that. And we'll see if he can join all his teammates in the playoffs to defend his championship. Uh, with that, Josh, uh, let us know what you're doing on the sim side last week and what you're looking to do as we go into this upcoming weekend. Well, uh, I mean, last weekend, I mean, I just ended up doing just, you know, I racing super speedway with the, the Indy car. I mean, we talked about it uh, on the last podcast and then that's kind of, it's kind of what I ended up doing for, I guess that, that week uh, um, I ended up, there was one race where uh, I ended up finishing seventh and I, I thought uh, I would be able to, get a good run there at the end. Um, and it looked like it was being close on fuel. Um, and I thought I would be the first car in line, uh, after the leaders to be at the, at the finish. But, um, I guess the guys up front figured out how to save fuel. Um, and then ended up finishing in seventh, but, uh, you know, didn't crash or anything like that. Didn't get any incident points for my racing. So just a, you know, solid result there. I mean, it was a little bit exciting, I guess, at the end, uh, tried to make a run to get fourth. I, I guess it was, and, uh, ended up getting a big draft and then 
going on to the apron uh, to try to make a move, but it just uh, wasn't quite close enough and uh, ended up finishing in seventh instead of fourth. But it's a pretty you know exciting race and interesting strategy there, uh, trying to figure out when to pit and uh, stretch the fuel there. But I think this week, um, you know, not really gonna do anything. Uh, haven't really had much time. You know, sometimes that's how it, how it goes. Um, and then gonna be gonna be out this weekend, obviously, uh, in St. Petersburg for the race. So, uh, probably won't really have any time to do any eye racing. But, uh, I mean, if I do, maybe maybe I'll do uh one tomorrow night if I have time. Uh, not sure what I'll run. Um, maybe a Sebring or something like that in the IndyCar. I think that's where IndyCar is running this week for iRacing, maybe something like that, or do a, a quick Talladega one um, since Cup and all, all the NASCAR series is going to be at Talladega. Maybe maybe do something like that. Uh, we'll see. Um, but I mean, I think I, I will talk about briefly the iRacing uh, Pro Invitational that we saw just uh, earlier today uh, being recorded on Wednesday. Yeah, um, good call. Yeah, and I think, you know, it was an interesting race. Um, there wasn't really a lot of action, I guess. I mean, it, uh, you know, there was a lot of crashing, obviously, but not really a whole lot of passing. And I think the reason why that was is because recently uh, iRacing changed the rules package for the cup cars and their latest update for the super speedways. And so the draft model uh, works a little bit differently uh, for the cup cars. And they're trying to model it more realistically to what we see at the cup races on Sundays at, you know, Talladega and Daytona. And it really takes a lot of coordination between the, uh, the front car and whoever's behind them to, uh, penetrate that bubble of air, I guess, that we see at these tracks between cars. And you really have to do a whole lot of coordination and timing to be able to, um, make runs throughout the field. And it's not just, a you know, suck up behind the car and bump draft him up to the lead. Uh, like it was in previous versions of iRacing. Um, so I think that that's probably the factor in why maybe we didn't really see a whole lot happen uh, up front with uh, the lead changes in this pro eventational race at iRacing. So um, I, I think the racing part of it, I mean, they're trying to model it more to be like in real life, which is fine. That's what it's supposed to be. It's a simulation. Um, but then I think also you have to talk about like, guys like uh keelan harvick who somehow got invited to be in this race and which um i mean it's fun you know have fun as a kid uh be able to race against your dad on a video game and you know, basically his co-workers his peers in a video game so i guess that's cool but then also it's um kind of weird how keelan harvick gets to race in i racing but then they can't figure out a deal for somebody like timmy hill uh, i think he did end up racing but still you know the the priorities i guess um for how they're trying to figure out who gets to race in the iRacing Pro Invitational. And yeah, like I mean, Jesse Uji gets in and he can't even finish 30th yeah. in a Xfinity race, but then they were going to go and not let Timmy Hill run a few yeah. weeks ago. So, yeah, it's uh, definitely, I mean, I'm not going to accuse anything or anybody of like uh, making it, you know, fishy or whatever, but it definitely felt fishy, I guess, with, uh, from what I understand, from what I've seen online with how Jesse Luigi, uh got in the field, I guess. I mean, uh, it's a good opportunity for him, I guess, and for, you know, for the Navy midshipmen to get exposure like that and, you know, show uh, somebody like that being able to race on iRacing. But you know, at the same time, um, the level of credibility in the field, you know, ranging from people like Dale Earnhardt Jr., who's, you know, made their name on super speedways to the 
cup drivers of today who race and then you got a kid and then uh somebody who's you know barely finished in any race uh in nascar um and not really shown uh any level of talent really and it's been um you know kind of slow i guess when he's been out there but i mean that's how it is and uh, i mean your guy brad keselowski ended up winning in it so i mean at least he's won something this year i mean if that ends up being his only win i mean guess it's all right to win in a video game but uh it was a, I guess, a good, good showing for iRacing again. And, you know, they're able to continue to get exposure and, you know, build upon themselves. I mean, I will say, I mean, it's the last thing I'll say about this, but, you know, compared to how IndyCar does their iRacing invitational races and some of the other, you know, series like IMSA, how they do their invitationals and then how NASCAR is able to partner with uh, Fox Sports and broadcast it on television. I think they understand how to do it at least. And then, you know, with IndyCar, I think it was free on YouTube to watch. Uh, and then I think the IMSA one was on Peacock or on NBCSN. So I, I think the numbers are going to be a lot different. And I think, you know, some of these other series, uh, they got to figure out a better way to, you know, at least get them on television or at least get some level of exposure compared to NASCAR and Fox, who seemed to figure it out at the beginning of the pandemic last year, how to broadcast these races and, uh, you know, get the numbers and everything. And I think uh, some of these series could probably learn from how Fox does, uh, at least for the sim races, not speaking for the real races in real life, but, you know, just how they are able to get the sim races and the numbers and stuff. I think some of these other series could probably learn from that. Yeah, it's something that, you know, when you talk about broadcasts and how we get presentations, whether it's NASCAR, IndyCar, I think, we're going to get a good idea of the broadcast and presentation when they do SRX here in the summer with Alan Bestwick as a lead announcer, and then a revolving door of analysts of sorts, you know, Brad Doherty, and then you'll have some driver drivers. You'll have Dario Franchitti and um, James Hinchcliffe, and then Miss Hummer. Uh, then you'll have, Matt Yoakum in the pitch. You'll have Lindsey Zarniak hosting the pre-race and all that. So it's kind of got an NBC TNT feel circa 2001 or whatever right now, or two, early 2000s uh, there. So that'll be something to see. Um, you know, what are you going to do in regards to uh, the way that certain people want to work? We'll figure it out and uh, see the racing and hopefully – all the racing is safe and uh, all the action is uh, worthwhile and uh, nobody's using their car as a weapon for sure. Time where people have a itchy uh, hand, to say the least. And with that, we will uh, call an end to this week's uh, GSP episode 57. Episode 58 will have... Uh, Huge emphasis on the NFL draft where Josh's Jacksonville Jaguars will draft Trevor Lawrence, number one overall. But what will they do outside of that to make sure Trevor Lawrence doesn't die? Uh, what will the 49ers do at number three? And will that end up uh, leaving Phil uh, uh, not functioning anymore? Or will he become a Bills fan or will he? still be a fan and what he'll think 
about what that option, whether it is Trey Lance or Justin Fields, would mean in the overall scheme of the future franchise-wise. And anything else that comes up in regards to some of the teams that need quarterbacks and other positions of great value. Uh, Josh, uh, where can we follow you on social media and for your streams? Yeah, as always, uh, follow me on Twitter at JP Huffine. Uh, that's where I have the uh, the NASCAR takes, IndyCar takes, and then you know also the NFL takes and uh, the emotion, the excitement of uh, finally having a franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence and uh, buying him uh, toasters for his wedding registry and then donating it, the rest of it to charity. Uh, that was a pretty cool thing on Twitter, but uh, you know also for the streams. You can follow me there at uh, twitch.tv slash usailor2 and watch me uh, do iRacing and whatever else video games uh, that I want to try on there. It's mostly just been iRacing, but I'll try to figure it out for the rest. uh, And, you know, maybe uh, we'll get a win here soon or something like that, or you'll get an interesting reaction from me. Uh, You know, I try to keep it chill, but, you know, sometimes it happens. So uh, that's where you can follow and watch my stuff. And before I go into my sub, thanks as always, man, for uh, being here and going and setting up the show in a lot of ways with the outlines and the things you do and being a great friend and sidekick um, as we continue on on this process and on this journey here on the GSP. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Philip G. Matthew. Uh, You can follow the show at Grip Strip Pod. We're on Podbean. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, basically anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find the Rift Strip Podcast. So give us a like and a listen. Uh, five-star reviews are always great. You can get more people. We have reach around the world because of the content that we have, and we'll continue to have that content. We'll go and talk about the NFL draft next week in more detail, along with the events at Richmond or and uh, or Talladega, sorry, Richmond, Talladega, and then uh, St. Petersburg and uh, wherever there you'll be in Formula E. There'll be other stuff going on. We'll get all that taken care of and ready for you um, here next week on the GSP. So um, with that, Take care, stay safe, uh, wear a mask, go and take care of one another. Um, you know, get your vaccine when you can get a chance. Uh, it's not that bad. And frankly, it's puts us back close to where we want to be versus where we are right now. Uh, so for Josh, I'm Phil. Thank you so much for listening to the GSB and good night.